Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jean Gallagher, and welcome to show number 16, Discover Rising Tides, How the Outside Makes the Inside Better, where we explore the importance of the outdoors and maintaining life balance. Through this series, we will be talking with women business owners to understand their journey, and today I'm excited to introduce you, Grace Terry. Hi, Grace. Hello. Grace um, has a master's in social work, and she has 40 years experience as a mental health professional with a special expertise as a grief counselor and mentor. She's also an intuitive angel card reader, a conversationalist with souls on the other side, also known as a medium, a published author, a successful entrepreneur. She also brings to her work her lived experience as a survivor of child neglect and abuse, multiple traumatic losses, and and chronic depression and anxiety. Some people call her Amazing Grace. And today, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn. Today's, the title of today's show is The Power of Nature for Resolving Grief and Other Life Lessons. So if any of the listeners out there are triggered with grief, just be prepared for the conversation. And I hope that, I know that um, Grace is going to be giving us some wonderful tips and insights. So I'm honored to have you here today, Grace. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So, so before we get started in talking about the meat of the conversation, um, give us a little bit of a background on um, a little bit of your background and, and where you came from and how you ended up where you are today. Okay. Well, um, as you mentioned, I have been a mental health professional for over 40 years now. I date my professional life from the time I received my master's degree in social work, which was in 1980. So um, um, I have uh, I've had an interesting journey that I appreciate very much. I grew up in a little paper mill town, if that means anything to anyone, in northeast Louisiana. Um, and so I was very fortunate to be able to go to college and even uh, go to graduate school. I was the first in my family to do that. And... So in 1984, uh, I had been out of graduate school for just a few years, long enough to um, become licensed as a clinical social worker. And um, in that year, within within less than a year's time, I experienced three traumatic losses. Mm. And not to mislead anyone, but there were not three deaths. The first traumatic loss was that I was suddenly, unexpectedly unemployed. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, that was quite traumatic. Um, and secondly, I was very suddenly and unexpectedly divorced. And I should, and I can also say quite rudely, <laughs> divorced. And um, but that was, and that was before I could find another job. You know, I'm unemployed, and all of a sudden, my husband at the time decided uh, to divorce me. And um, so then, just as I was beginning my new position, um, my mother, who was 56 years old at the time, and beautiful, vibrant, uh, happily remarried uh, to my stepfather. Um, she was killed suddenly in an automobile accident. Wow. Yeah, so that was a quite eventful year. Now, I also like to tell, when I tell that much of my story, I also like to tell that um, the universe, God, the angels, um, 
whatever the higher power, um, all of the above, meant great and wonderful help to me, uh, life-saving help. And um, people, family, friends, and strangers loved me through that experience, or I do not think I would have survived it, because I can tell you that nothing in my personal or professional training or experience prepared me for that. I had I had learned nothing in my graduate education that prepared me for three traumatic losses in one year. I had learned nothing that would prepare me for one traumatic loss. I love and how you said that they loved you through it. They did. They absolutely did. And again, I have to say, friends and family went out of their way. And even strangers, people who did not know me, people who did not know my mother, went out of their way to be kind and loving. And so um, so from that point forward in my life, I viewed life, if you will, through the lens of traumatic loss. Mm. And so in my 40 years experience as a mental health professional, I worked in nonprofits, for-profits. I worked in um, mental health centers, community mental health centers. I worked in substance abuse treatment. I worked in hospice, um, uh, social work, a, a, a great and wonderful variety. Oh, I had a big private practice for about 10 years, private psychotherapy. I had a great and wonderful um, variety of uh, opportunities. And I viewed, I viewed it all through the lens of traumatic loss and recovery, if you will. Um, and and what and what is necessary to heal and recover from that kind of trauma? And certainly, those three traumatic losses weren't the last of my life. I went through a second divorce a few years later. I went mm. through the sudden death of my father. Um, he died at age fifty-eight of a heart attack. Wow. Um, right. So you know, life happens. Life happens. Uh, anything that we perceive as a loss um, triggers what we call grief, and mm -hmm. so, um, and so, um, what I what I learned is that I was not the only mental health professional who didn't know a thing about how to manage grief. The truth of the matter is, in our culture, um, we are largely grief illiterate. Helping professionals and medical professionals are not taught anything practical or substantive about supporting bereavement or healing from traumatic loss. Now, that most surprises people, me. Well, it you know when I when I really began noticing, it surprised me too. Um, I you know I guess I thought well everybody knows a lot more about this than I do, but. The more I, excuse me, the more I learned, um, the more I noticed that helping professionals, medical professionals, even clergy, um, and you would think if anybody would be routinely taught how to support bereavement, clergy would. Now, let me say, most people have heard that there are five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. Now, that idea is a pathetically, pitifully outdated uh, model mm -hmm. with all due respect 
to the person who originated that idea. She was a genius. She was groundbreaking. She did her research with terminally ill people. Mm. She didn't even she didn't she didn't do research with people who were bereaved. Um, but she wrote a groundbreaking book that uh, in which she described what she called the five stages of grief that terminally ill people move through. And and her work was misinterpreted and misapplied. And so the next thing you hear um, is a 30-minute mini-lecture, if anything, on the five stages of grief. Here's how it goes, one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. And that's all we need to know about that. Well, um, grief, see, here's the thing. Grief is not pathology. Now, if you're going to work in the mental health field, if you're going to work in the medical field, you will learn a lot about pathology. Grief mm-hmm. is normal and natural. Oh, okay. I see okay. the difference. Yeah. Thank I you. I see the difference. Thank you. So, um, so you know, mental health professionals have to take a lot of instruction in uh, pathology, abnormal psychology, and so forth. Um, but that's not grief. Grief is what happens in everyone's life. And um, in our Western industrialized culture, we just have kind of uh, taken the attitude, well, it happens, get over it, move on. And, and quite often, grief is associated with death. That's right. And, right. Gr- and rightly so, but grief is also apparent and shows up in many different, well, everything that you've said that's happened to you, whether you've lost a job or you've, things that you've lost within your daily life or family life in some sort of a way that wasn't death related is still, there still has to be space for grief around that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Yes. um, uh, Grief is most commonly associated with death. But my definition for grief is the thoughts and feelings that are triggered by a loss, Mm. any loss. Any loss. Okay. And losses can be abstract as well as concrete. What is an abstract loss? Well, um, let's say the loss of a dream. Oh. Okay. Like I had, say, you know, I've always dreamed of becoming something, anything. Oh, okay. And then if life happens and I realize that's never going to happen. And if I, and if I have, if that dream has been dearly held, Mm -hmm. okay, and then circumstances dictate or um, um, define uh, letting go of that, then there, that's a loss. Mm. And I'll tell you one from my personal life, sort of abstract, uh, an illusion, the loss of an illusion can be very, very traumatic. And for many, many years, I um, labored under the illusion that if I worked hard enough, long enough, a certain relationship in my life would be what I wanted it to be. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and so I worked long and hard and then 
Um, I spent four days with the person that I desperately wanted to um, have a certain type of relationship with. And two of those days, we were in the car, right? <laughs> and I'm laughing now, but I'm telling you, it was not funny before we got home. Um, <laughs> before we got home, my illusion that I could work hard enough and long enough and make it what I wanted it to be, that illusion was totally shattered. Mm. And that was one of the most painful losses of my life. That's, that's a type of a loss that I'm sure oh, I never considered, and I'm sure many people never considered. And as people are listening to this conversation, if you have any questions, uh, we're, if you're live on YouTube, feel free to use the chat. If you want to call in to the Blog Talk radio number, it's 323-580-5755, and we'll get your questions answered as we go through the conversation. But that's a really interesting, I think we should, we should kind of really let that settle for just a second, because the illusion, the loss of an illusion or a loss of a, a feeling or a, a, an assumption of how something is going to happen, that, that can be quite traumatic yes it can and, and unexpected and unexpected and the feelings associated with abstract losses um can be just as intense mm. just as painful as concrete losses mm -hmm. if you will so um life is changed well, can it be even more so because it's not tangible right so other people are not going to be offering, as you said before, loving you through it, because other people might, might not realize that that piece is a loss, right? That, that's right. That's right. And um, so there are many uh, situations that some of the grief experts call, call disenfranchised grief. Mm. And those are losses that are not uh, typically recognized or honored in our culture that, you know, they're just, they're just all kinds of losses that we just don't even pay much attention to. And uh, one that comes to my mind immediately is um, a, a miscarriage or a stillbirth. Mm -hmm. um, now that for many people, sad to say, is a disenfranchised loss. Mm. Um, often people don't even let anybody know that they've had a miscarriage or well if there's if it's a stillbirth from a full-term pregnancy then then people would know mm -hmm. but uh, a miscarriage um quite often then, people haven't announced that they're pregnant that's so, right so that right. that that absence of being pregnant like you said wouldn't be noticed that's right that's mm -hmm. right so tangible losses intangible losses abstract or concrete Anything that we perceive as a loss triggers thoughts and feelings um, in response. And those thoughts and feelings are what I call grief. Hmm. And, the, and, the, and the feelings associated with grief are most commonly things like great sadness, mm -hmm. uh, anger, guilt, fear, um, very, very painful feelings. Again, mm -hmm. no matter what the loss those are the typical feelings. Now, some people are beginning to realize that everyone grieves differently, and that is 
true, and it's also true that everyone grieves the same <laughs> in that any grief experience includes intense, painful feelings. If we're not having intense, painful feelings, we're not grieving. So you think that people, some people actually don't grieve and they should? Oh, there's not a should there. I think some people show their grief and expect and express their grief much more openly with than others. And um, and there's no should in that. Um, some people are more extroverted and tend to be more outwardly expressive. Some people are more introverted and are less outwardly expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, for the resolution of grief and the healing of grief and the integration of grief, there is a necessity for some degree of what I call catharsis, um, that is letting it out, getting it out, putting it out, it being the painful emotional energy associated with the law. And, and so how, how does that happen or, or that does, does, Maybe that happens naturally for some and not and not as naturally for others. Well, I would say that in an ideal world, it would happen naturally for everyone because you know we're all born with the capacity for expressing and releasing discomfort. I mean, every newborn baby <laughs> can express and release release their discomfort. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean. Babies will let you know when they're unhappy, right? No doubt. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, but as but through but culture suppresses that, right? That's right. In mm-hmm. our again Western industrialized culture, uh, what is most valued is the rational, logical, intellectual, sometimes called masculine function, mm-hmm. and what is less valued and often demeaned and diminished is the emotional mm-hmm. feeling function considered to be feminine Mm. all right so um so yes we live in a culture that has strict rules about what feelings can be expressed when and how under what circumstances and so forth Mm -hmm. um so we all grow up in that swimming in that sea if you will and when it comes to grief, which involves intense emotional reactions, um, often we're like the little fish who swam up to the big fish and said, what is water? <laughs> you know, we're swimming in grief, most of us, mm-hmm. because life is what it is, and it involves change, and it involves loss. And we have feelings about that. We have thoughts about that. And we don't even recognize often that we're swimming in grief and we, and we have no conscious awareness of it. Mm. And so if there's no awareness, there's no healing, right? That's right. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Now, let's get to the good news, shall we? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's the good news is that any loss that we survive can be healed, it can be resolved, it can be integrated into our lived experience and 
can actually become an asset to us in a certain way. But in order for that to happen, we must do our grief work. Now, let me tell you exactly what I mean by grief work and how nature fits in with that, shall we? Yes, please. Okay, so here's, here's how grief work works. We allow ourselves to feel what we feel. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, again, we were born knowing how to do that. Number one, we feel what we feel. We feel all of it. And with practice, we learn to feel it without judging, without being embarrassed, without being ashamed. We feel what we feel. Number two, we express what we feel in some way that is not harmful to us or to others or to property. And that might be things like talking about our feelings with the intent to release. Talking about our feelings, writing about our feelings, praying about our feelings, um, sweating, you know, working up a good sweat, Mm -hmm. um, creating art to express our feelings, um, any of these things. There are many, many ways. And in my book, by the way, I've recently written and published a book, The Spiral Pathway of Grief. In my book, I have quite an extensive list of different things that can help us express and release our thoughts and feelings about our losses in a way that um, purges our being of that negative energy. And I call it negative only because it is painful, Mm -hmm. all right? Right. And in and of itself, it's not bad. If we hold on to it too long, it can become very toxic and it can lead to all sorts of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual disorders. Hmm. But if we feel, oh, I just noticed myself taking a breath. One way to release is, (laughs) one way to release is simply to breathe. Just connect with our um, grief energy (sighs) and then just blow it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be as simple as that. Really, it can. So, we figure out a way to express and release the pain of our grief. Mm-hmm. Now, when we do this, this leaves a empty space, if you will, or a hollow space in our, if you will, the heart chakra, mm-hmm. the, 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 in our chest, around our heart. When we blow these, this energy out or cry it out, oh, by the way, Crying is a wonderful way to release if we are intentionally releasing as we shed our tears, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so as we release the painful grief energy, we create, you know, then what's left is empty spaces. Mm-hmm. All right, so for the healing to be complete, what we must do is receive back into our heart healing, love, energy. Does that make sense? And so how do you do that? Or how is that done? All right. Well, there's a variety of ways. Again, in my book, I list a variety of ways, but for the purposes of this podcast and the people who may be listening, one of the great ways is to be in nature. All right. So being out in nature and um, before we have a chance to get out or while we're out in nature, 
we can blow stuff out. We can blow out the pain or we can bring a journal and write it down. We can do a variety of things that will release. And in nature, there is a healing vibration that if we consciously let that soak into our heart spaces, just let it, just let it soak in and heal us. Then <sighs> that can be very, a very meaningful practice and process in our grief work and in the resolution and integration of our grief. Now, Dean, I don't need to tell you, I'm sure, about the healing vibration in nature. I don't need to tell you about that. It, 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 it does. And I think most people consider it for stress management, right? And just being able to shed away the happenings of what might be going on um, externally. And to just be, have a place to be present and allow, like you said, that energy to be present. Yes, yes. But people and consider that mostly for, I think people consider that mostly for stress and balance. Or okay. just, or there's this internal feeling that I just need to be outside and I can't tell you why. Well, that's all right. It doesn't have to be explained. <laughs> but when nature calls us, and when we, um, when we give ourselves the gift of being um, in, um, at the seashore or by a natural body of water or just out in our backyard, if we're fortunate enough to have a backyard with grass in it, or even if we live in an apartment with a balcony, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, if we can just be out in the fresh air and, um, and just take the time and focus our awareness on releasing pain and receiving into our heart center the healing vibration, the healing uh, energy that is the natural world, then this can be very, very powerful. Now, you say it's... Uh, being in nature is for stress management? Surely, certainly, mm -hmm. absolutely. And what are some of the greatest stressors in our lives? Some of the greatest stressors in our lives are our losses. Mm, that's right. We, okay. By that's the right. way, grief that is unattended, and if it is just repressed and denied and avoided, it does not go away. It stays with us. And... Um, um, it's cumulative. Mm. All right. So, I'm so well, before you go further, let me. And that typically needs to be a very conscious uh, process, and it needs to be done in the container, in the context. I'm doing this. <laughs> In the container, in the context of loving support. Now, again, nature can be a wonderfully healing um, uh, remedy, if you mm -hmm. will, for the pain of grief. And I, I feel like I must say, in the grief journey for full resolution and integration of grief, which, by the way, in my book, 
uh, I have a full chapter on exactly what do I mean when I use the terms resolution and integration. Mm -hmm. um, um, in the, for, for the process to be complete, people do need some of the love energy to come from other people. Mm -hmm. All right. And to supplement that and to complement that energy from nature, energy from pets, mm -hmm. our, our animals, um, energy from um, uh, inspirational literature or music or other kinds of art. Uh, there's a variety of sources that can bring love energy into our heart to help us heal mm -hmm. um, and resolve and integrate the losses of our lives. But certainly, I highly recommend the healing energy of nature. Gee, I have to tell you, one of the peak experiences of my life, and I'm 67 years old, and I don't mind who knows it, um, <laughs> And all my life, I have been a seeker of spiritual truth and spiritual experience, if you will. Mm -hmm. One of the absolutely most powerful experiences of my life was when I went out to the West Coast and I visited the giant redwood trees. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's listening who has not yet done that, please, please, please put it on your bucket list. <laughs> and get there, um, being in the presence of the giant redwoods was one of the most profound experiences of my life. The vibration and the energy coming from those majestic expressions of the highest and best in the universe was just an incredible, incredible experience for me. It is, it is. It's incredible. And the moss, the mossy forest and the large trees and the silence. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And probably most people listen to this, have your favorite places in nature. And, uh, and that's, that's, oh, that's solid gold. That is pure gold when it comes to wellness and balance and, um, uh, healing, that's solid gold. And I'm just here to remind you that as you visit your favorite places in nature, think about what, where, where are the sad places in your heart? Where are the angry places? Mm. Where, where might there be places where old ang uh, anger or guilt or shame or fear might be stored. But, I mean, it's part of it's part of being a human that we have that. You know, something that just came to mind as you're saying that is, you know, have you ever thought, or maybe you have, um, the effects of social media on on this part too? Because I think that we can tend to use social media as a crutch to, as an as a piece of escapism, right? So if you're having a stressful moment, let me just look at my phone for a minute. Or if you're feeling something and it's so easy to pick up your phone or pick up some social media and lose yourself in that, but that's not, that's not um, releasing anything. That's right. That's just, that's continuing the avoidance pattern. And you're right. In our modern world, we do use social media and technology to avoid a lot. Um, you know, that's 
that's one of the things that we do. But mm -hmm. before there was social media, there were many ways that people used to avoid and deny and repress their emotional truth. Uh, because that's what they were told to do. That's what they were taught to do. And that's what our role models showed us how to do. So, um, so to consciously be aware of our emotional reality and our unfinished business, if you will, our uh, unresolved grief, unattended grief, to be consciously aware of that and to consciously and conscientiously be about um, releasing that mm. and accepting love that will heal that, that, that puts us in a counterculture <laughs> group. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of practice is not widely known or practiced in our culture, sad to say, and that's one reason why we have so much heart disease and diabetes and obesity and cancer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned my father died of a heart attack at age 58. And what I truly believe, that was, that was his clinical diagnosis. I truly believe that what killed my dad was unspoken fears mm -hmm. and unshed tears mm -hmm. and unforgiven resentment. Mm -hmm. I believe that's what killed my dad. Wow. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. That's the good news. It does not have to be that way. Um, and so and, what's the problem? Oh, no, go ahead. I'll finish your sentence and I'll ask a question. Oh, thank you, honey. Um, I was just going to say, um, well, what was I going to say? Well, oh, and we do not have to do the work alone. Mm -hmm. We do, In fact, we cannot do it alone. But there are others who will be our companions on this uh, journey, and I'm one. I'm one of the people who, at, at this time in my life, it is my pleasure and privilege to be a grief companion, a grief educator, as well as a angel card reader and medium mm -hmm. to help people connect with their loved ones on the other side. Um, and uh, in in my book, there's a whole chapter on finding your grief companion. Mm. So I want to ask about that grief companion piece, but also your segue was going to be exactly what I was going to ask you is how do you, when you're helping and coaching or helping somebody through the grief process, what does that look like? Is that, can I, is that even something that's answerable? Well, yeah. Um, um, I mean, it can look like several different pictures, if you will. Um, when I'm coaching, it's, I mean, I take each person as an individual of course. and um, and we together figure out, you know, what makes the most sense for this person. Now, it may mean regular one to one sessions um, mm -hmm. and it may mean uh, a combination of one to one and group sessions. I'm starting a group uh, here within two weeks that'll be every second, fourth and fifth. Um, Sunday of the month in the evening, but, um, and, and people can also find group sessions locally. Mm -hmm. um, there are grief uh, support groups. And so often it's a combination of individual one-to-one -one support, 
with, along with some group support and along with some good practical, factual, updated literature um, that, that, and going out in nature. <laughs> I mean. So, yeah, you mentioned grief companions. What is that? That is like a coach, right? Or is it, is it different? Well, it can be a it can be a professional like myself, and or it can just be other people. I mean, most grief support groups are made up of a uh, a group of people who are on a similar journey, if you will. Um, and ideally, there is a trained either a trained volunteer or a trained professional to facilitate conversation in the group. Um, and in a healthy group, the group members who are all on an equal basis, having had some type of traumatic loss in their lives, and they're there for one another to listen and to, to share the journey and to witness when someone chooses to express and release pain. Mm. And, and acknowledge. Yes, yes. And so you have the wit, you have the peers, the companions who are there to provide the loving energy that goes back into that heart that has just emptied. If there's no acknowledgement from somebody else, is it is it less released? It's not less released, but um, but the the healing is complete when love energy, or you could call it emotional support or kindness or compassion or any of those, the healing is complete when the space is emptied of the pain and the love comes back in to fill up that spot. Mm-hmm. In my personal experience and in my observation, um, over the years, Uh, Oh, I started saying, um, you know, in my 40 years as a mental health professional, wherever I worked, having had the experience that I had rather early in my life, every person who ever came to me as a client had had traumatic losses of one kind or another. Mm -hmm. So anybody I ever worked with got grief support, whether they knew it or not, right? (laughs) Because... That's how, you know, that's how I perceived. Your intuitiveness, yeah. That, yes, that, and, that, and yes, intuitiveness, and as they told me their story and what brought them to a professional helper, there was always traumatic loss there. Mm-hmm. And it might have been through a death, but it might have been through a divorce. It might have been through disillusionment. It might be through unemployment. It might be through addiction. Guess what? What is addiction? It's the loss of control and predictability. Mm-hmm. The loss of control and predictability. Can you say huge loss? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so we need one another. Now, this to me, in my understanding, is a basic truth about spiritual beings on a human journey. None of us are self-sufficient, even if we would like to think we are. None of us is independent. To be all that we can be, we must create loving, caring, compassionate, 
mutually beneficial partnerships to help one another along the way. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So how to, two questions. One, where do people find your book? And number two, how to, how do they get in touch with you and to have a one-on-one consultation or any other information? Thank you. The best way is to go to my website and um, it is, uh, I can put it in the chat, but I can just say it is www.angelsabide, angelsabide.com. Now you can go to my website and schedule a session with me. You can also see um, on the publications page, there's information about my two books that I have written and published during the pandemic. <laughs> I've been I've been intending to write them for years and years, and if we had not had a pandemic, I honestly don't know if I would ever have gotten it done. Oh, um, congratulations! <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm very very grateful. I had a lot of help getting the product um, to Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Amazon.com has my books, and you could go straight to Amazon.com and type in my name, Grace. Terry, um, and uh, get access to my two books. But if you want to know more about the two books, go to my website and the publications page, and it'll tell you more about my books. And then you can do there's a there's a um, button you can just click on that'll take you straight to the Amazon link. Fantastic. So in addition to grief counseling and grief work, you also can um, can provide. I can provide intuitive angel card readings. Which are amazing, by the way. <laughs> a lightning. Yes. A Dean is speaking from experience. You don't mind me saying that, I hope. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, I could do angel card readings and coaching. Um, and I help people connect with their loved ones who have crossed to the other side. That is, loved ones who have died. Um, If you have loved ones who have died and you would like to communicate with them, I can help you with that. Thank you. Grace, it's been been an honor and a pleasure to have you here, and I want to thank you very, very much. Well, my dear, I, I thank you as well for all the good you do all the time. I know that you are making a huge positive difference in the world, and since we're all connected, in my belief, uh, since we're all connected, I know that everything you do to help others helps me and and those that I love. So um, thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. I wish you continued great success. And um, I will say to you, my dear Jean, and to anyone else who might be um, listening, please know that I am available and happy to hear from uh, anyone and and for you to let me know how I can be most helpful to you. Uh, Oh, by the way, through my website, you can also send me email um, and I'd be happy to hear from anyone. Thank you so much, Grace. Thanks for your time today. You're so welcome. And so now we're going to segue and I'm really excited to announce this. This is the first of what will be a regular addition to the Discover Rising Tides, How the Outside Makes 
the inside better, I want to introduce Lynn Schuessler-Williams. And you can also check out her podcast, our podcast, um, on my website, on the Summer Rising Tides website. But Lynn has kindly agreed to come on and give us a, um, a segment. It's called Rising Up. And Lynn, as you you've probably, if you've watched the other segment, know Lynn is an author and a coach, and she's authored her book. If I show it to you, it's going to come up backwards. So I'm just going to read it, um, Nine Little Words to Change Your Results, and you can find that out on Amazon as well. And so, Lynn, it's your turn. Thanks so much, Jean. I'm so excited for our Rising Up segment, and I'm grateful to have gotten to hear uh, Grace Terry talk about grief today. So welcome to Rising Up. We are uh, all about elevating ourselves so that we can be our best selves for Rising Up. So this is going to be a nugget moment, I hope. Um, And I guess I want to say that the reason you might listen to me talk about that, uh, the best reason maybe is not what uh, Jean said, but because I am a lifelong, at least decades and decades, uh, person that considers herself a spiritual and personal development junkie. So uh, I've taken in lots of information from other people, and hopefully I'll bring some of that to you. So I had an aha moment recently that I thought I'd just mention to you all. Um, I've been thinking a lot. Well, we've all heard the old saying that, you know, change your thoughts, change your life, or um, how our thoughts create our reality. You know, it's it's a universal message. You can find it from all across the world uh, in almost every culture. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about nature and about how we think about and talk about nature. And one of the things that we will find universally about nature is something that Grace talked about today, which is the healing uh, properties and the healing opportunities in nature. Another thing I noticed about nature is the word itself is a noun. And in the English language, at least, And in our Western culture, when we talk about nouns, we usually think of them as naming things outside ourselves. So, for instance, house, car, nature, (laughs) right? And so just the very nature of our language sets us up to think of nature as outside of ourselves. So just kind of ask yourself how you've been thinking about it. And I started to ask myself some questions. I'm a real believer in uh, questioning. And so what if we shifted our thoughts about our relationship with nature? And what if we saw ourselves as part of nature and nature as part of us, a more intrinsic relationship than the noun makes us think, right, Uh, than the thing outside of ourselves? And um, I've been studying a lot lately about the lunar cycles, and it's made me hyper aware of how we as women especially are so uh, connected to nature, right? And so what would this shift in perspective mean for us? 
Um, would, how would we experience things differently if we came at nature more as a part of ourselves and us a part of it? How would our experiences of nature itself be different? And how would our um, experience of, say, healing be different, right? Since we've already acknowledged nature has this healing quality. And so, you know, I mentioned that in English it's a noun. Another thing you'll find all over the world from many, many cultures is this idea of us as part of nature. And, you know, uh, it is indivisible. In the Lakota tradition, they talk about all my relatives. And they don't just mean the human beings <laughs> that they're related to. They mean the bugs and the air and the clouds and the rocks and the trees and everything, right? And so I love that idea of all my relatives. How might my perspective shift if I embrace this idea of all my relatives? And what if through this shift in perspective, we came up with this awareness that we can be our own healers, right? I love that idea. So, I invite you to take a look at your own language. Um, maybe some of these questions are good journal prompts for the week. Maybe they are things that will get you thinking and writing. So my real kind of the question I came down to for me was, how can I cultivate a point of view that really embraces this idea of nature as intrinsically part of me and me a part of it? And so I hope that you will ask yourself a similar question, your question, it doesn't have to be my question, and that you will find a way to create um, a more aliveness of nature in your experience. So until next time, I will say, I hope you'll ask yourself great questions. And I am holding the perfect thought, as my mama would say, of you having an expanded experience of peace and joy and rising up. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, everyone. And I hope you enjoyed today's show. And thank you to Grace and Lynn. And we will see you next time. Bye.